Welcome to the Field Trip Podcast. I am Eric Simmons. And I'm Kara Platoni. And in the show, we take our lives into our own hands to show you the science of coffee. Extreme coffee. And what happens when you drink a whole heck of a lot of it. So if all of you could please stop vibrating. Cut out the pounding on that unholy drum. I think it's my heart. We'll go on a field trip. Hey, Kara. You are looking extremely alert. So are both of you. You've been out again, haven't you? I can't help it. It's so good. It's so... What's the word I'm looking for? Highly caffeinated? No. Extremely concentrated? No. Uh, so much an object lesson about what happens when you drink something brewed in the home lab of a stranger you met on the internet? Yes. I do owe this feeling to Phil. I thought so. This is Phil Broughton, better known as Air Director of Funranium Labs, a company based in Berkeley that sells a very special blend of highly caffeinated cold-brewed coffee. Black, Black blood, blood of, of the, the earth. earth. Another one of his coffees is called Death Wish, which is made from what he claims are the most caffeinated coffee beans in the world. Phil estimates that black blood of the earth contains approximately 40 times the caffeine of normal coffee. He recommends that your consumption not exceed 100 milliliters per day. Phil's day job as a health physicist is to ensure the safety of all radiation-producing machines at UC Berkeley. Like if you have an electron microscope or an X-ray or an accelerator, he's the guy you call to make sure it doesn't destroy the city. So clearly, Phil is a man who understands danger. We wanted to talk to him because we wanted to understand what it is about coffee that we really crave, and then what happens when you mess with that. We also wanted to see what happens when you drink a lot of caffeine in a very short time. He figured we'd be drinking the equivalent of two liters of coffee each in about two hours. So in the spirit of science, Eric and I both arrived wearing heart monitors. We'd already calculated that my normal resting heart rate is in the high 50s. Well, I think that means you're dead. And Kara's is about 66 beats per minute. And we both held off from our normal cup or two of coffee that day. But it wasn't really until Phil walked through the door that I understood this wasn't going to be the kind of soothing cup of joe you drink from a mug. Hi, everybody. Hi. I'm Phil. Hey, Phil. Come on in. I see that you brought us something that looks very impressive. Well, I have a collection of black blood of the earth for you to try out today. What he has is a rack full of test tubes. So this is the black blood of the earth. Oh, my God. I have never had a coffee drink that came in test tubes before. What normally goes in these, Phil? Normally I would be doing swipe samples for contamination inside of buildings with toxic metals or radioactive materials contamination on the floors, ceilings, walls. So this maybe also was a tip-off. I have four worries. One, heart explosion. Two, never sleeping again. Three, brain explosion. And four, rampant barfing, for which I apologize in advance. Number five should be addiction. <laughs> I see myself as much more in the addiction camp risk. So, Phil, <laughs> let me ask you an important question. Do you want hot water or cold water for these samples? You should taste it straight and cold oh. at least once, and I recommend trying it with hot water. So let's fire up the hot water while I pour some straight and cold for you. And I did bring a beaker to measure. Cup one. So share a sip of that 25 mils between the two of you, straight and cold. Right, this is the Kona. This is the, take a sniff. Enjoy the smell. Hmm. This is a medium roast uh, of some sort. I mean, it's a little sweeter, I think. Yeah, it smells sweet and pure and very clean. There's like no acid smell or anything like that. This is sort of my baseline flavor. It's what I reference everything else to. Kona is a 
when you drink it normally, it's a good, solid, axiomatic coffee flavor. It is coffee with a capital C. Yeah, it is, but it's really smooth and clean. And uh, I don't know, I, I cold brew my coffee, so I'm used to drinking coffee cold. And there's something about this that tastes a little bit fresher than, than what I do. So what we're gonna do now is hot water addition, three parts hot water to one part black blood. I mean, it's not that dark. It's, I expected it to be black, Phil. This is pretty black. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've now diluted it by 300%. So it's now merely normal coffee colored. This is how I normally drink it in the morning because the problem with it is being as concentrated as it is, you go through it quickly just sipping at it at your desk. If you cut it with some water, then you can enjoy it and actually get through all your email. Eric and I kind of checked out our baseline heart rates and our blood pressure yesterday. So my baseline heart rate is about 66 beats per minute. I'm currently at 103. <laughs> I mean, part of that is because it I've run up terror. and down stairs and t terror. See, this, I think, reflects very poorly on my caffeine addiction because my heart rate has gone down since we started drinking. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank God. We were wondering when you were going to get around to this. <laughs> the interesting thing I've had a lot of people tell me about how the black blood affects them is it's not that they end up with the vibrating through walls. It's hyper focus. That's the reason most people drink coffee is to wake up. What it really is, it's a hallucinatory effect of not wakefulness, but attention. Most people, when they take hallucinogens, is to notice everything in the world, man. I want to be open to the whole experience. Now, caffeine lets you ignore everything but the thing you want to deal with. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the coffee business in the first place? I'm a diabetic with a vicious sweet tooth. I was diagnosed in June 2009, and that was more or less the worst thing I could imagine happening to me with my standard food consumption. Before figuring out how to make Black Blood of the Earth, I was running somewhere in the realm of eight to 10 cups of coffee a day just to keep me going, as that's how much coffee I needed to replace all the soda I was drinking, as I'd sort of been a two liter a guy, two liter a day kind of guy. Wow. Um, and in that, it was Mountain Dew, not Coke. Oh, oh that's strong stuff, though. <laughs> well, as I found, if you go anywhere in the world and you find someone sitting at a table with a can of Mountain Dew and a bag of Cheetos, you should extend your hand and say, hello, it's always good to meet a physics major. <laughs> <laughs> in six countries, I have not been wrong any time. One day, I got a picture from a friend who was in Osaka, Japan, and he had walked into a coffee shop that had this beautiful laboratory glassware set up with, a, with coffee steeping above, running down through stopcock tubes, dripping into the next reservoir where it went through another stage of coffee. And then again, over the course of 18 hours, until you had the decanted liquor at the bottom that they would then serve you. My friend who was in Japan declared that this Viennese cold extraction coffee 
allowed him to vibrate through walls. <laughs> and I looked at the picture. And you thought, awesome? Or I, I want awesome. to do that. Well, actually, it's more. I looked at the picture of the setup and then looked at the glassware on the rack in my kitchen at home and said to myself, I'm pretty sure I can build that. And that's how I built the first apparatus to make iteration one of Black Blood of the Earth. But, okay, for, first of all, for those of us who aren't quite familiar with it, what is the Viennese process? As it's a three-pass steeping with they're doing cold water steeping rather than hot water steeping where they'll put fill reservoir one with grounds and water and let it sit there for several hours then open the stopcock and let it drain into the next reservoir of coffee grounds so it's now a coffee steeping coffee and repeat a third time so but you're not doing the beanies process no. this is not a gravity fed process necessarily is it no this is a vacuum extraction by the time I'm done, the coffee grounds are about as dry as when they started. The other thing is, it's a cold vacuum extraction. One of the things I looked at that just didn't make sense in the toddy technique was, it was warm. It's sitting on your counter. Heat starts the breakdown of the proteins and other biological matter that makes up coffee and the good flavors of the oils. The extent that you can keep everything as close to freezing as possible preserves the flavors. Say, so my heart rate is down, up, it's at 97 right now. <laughs> I, I actually feel like this was kind of calming and focusing. Yeah, I'm feeling good. Just, I think just, we need to drink more coffee. Just, so what's next, Phil? Now we're going to go for a light roast. Malabar. So that's your empty. So let's split this, 25 mils into each. So once again, straight and cold, have a sip. Oh wow, this smells a lot stronger. It smells like chocolate ice cream <laughs> and moss. It's planty. Planty? <laughs> uh, I mean, it tastes like, yeah. Keep going, keep, well, just let the flavor, there is a long palate to the Malabar. I'm suddenly very aware of my arms. <laughs> There's a little bit of a muscle tension thing going on, I think, I is what it is. Holding your hands, trying not to tap fingers? Yeah, well, I'm actually, I just looked <laughs> yeah, down at my hands and I realized I've got the fingers of one hand squeezed in, in, in the palm of the other for I'm not sure why. What <laughs> keeps you from tapping them on the table nervously? That might be it. That might be it. I definitely have like some kind of muscle tension that's going from like my shoulders and my neck down both arms. But I feel good. Yeah, I feel fantastic. But I'm curious to know, Phil, how trash should we expect to feel tomorrow? You shouldn't. No? That's been one of the other things that I've noticed about Black Blood and other people have told me for anecdotal evidence is the caffeine crash doesn't seem to happen. So my pulse rate is at 79 now. We're relaxing into My the voice sleep. is soothing. Yeah. It is. Your voice is 78. Sing us a lullaby. 77. Keep talking, Phil. You'll be asleep in no time. So what I'm doing here now is we're going to taste the Death Wish straight and cold. So we're not actually going to do hot water addition to the Death Wish. Okay. Because you'll know what Death Wish is fair enough straight and cold. Is it wrong if I say that this is my favorite so far? <laughs> Death Wish is actually my least fl favorite flavor. To me, Death Wish tastes like a new gas mask smells. <laughs> that old 
army surplus butyl rubber flavor is something that is very much associated with the Robusta bean flavors. It does have a certain top note of rubber cement. All right, I'm going to try it. It doesn't, it doesn't taste like rubber cement going down, but it's much more, like a, a much more astringent feel. None of the black blood of the earth is sludgy, mm -mm. which is one of the big differences that comes up between a lot of people's cold brews is just it's mud. I'm curious, Phil, how much of this do you drink on a regular day's basis? What's your, what's your normal coffee intake? So I tell everyone don't drink more than 100 mils per day. That's unless you're a professional. <laughs> My normal day is probably about 150 milliliters, but never that much at once. Because too much too fast starts setting in the overdose effects of caffeine, which generally are hallucinatory in effect. You start getting tinnitus, you start getting tracers and vibrating vision, which makes it really hard to look at a monitor. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, you're, you're welcome. And there are more people to go talk to out there. Be, be sure to go talk to the people who actually roast coffee every day and the amount of coffee they drink. So we took Phil up on his suggestion. We went to visit one of the main suppliers of roasted beans that Phil uses in his cold brew, Ritual Roasters in San Francisco. Uh, my name is Brandon McMahon. Uh, I run the wholesale business for Ritual Coffee Roasters as well as uh, doing some sales. Brandon was our tour guide. Uh, this is a place that takes the science of roasting small batches of coffee extremely seriously. Brandon started us off by taking us to meet their head roaster. Uh, my name's Joel Edwards. Uh, I've been roasting coffee for 14 years. Uh, last two for Ritual. When we got there, Joel was just pouring the day's last batch of unroasted, or green, beans into this monster of a machine, a 1950s model made by a German company called Probat. It's really beautiful. Like, you might expect to find this in a submarine or in the boiler room of some ancient ship. It's all these valves and nozzles and pressure gauges coming off of this giant rotating drum with a gas flame roaring somewhere below it. It's also really industrial. Joel just pours a bucket of beans into a chute at the top and the roasting begins. Brandon narrated the process for us. So, so what's happened is essentially we have this, this drum. Um, it's this round circular part of the machine here. And inside, you can kind of imagine what a, uh, a horizontal sort of washing machine looks like has these blades and fins that are essentially just agitating the coffee beans as this drum rotates. Um, there's a, a flame, a set of flames underneath uh, the drum uh, that are controlled by, you know, the roaster input. When we drop green, green coffee in, um, it, it sort of sucks all of the warmth in that drum out. So um, when we plot it as a curve, which we actually do for every roast, uh, you're showing us this incredibly ancient-looking roasting machine is hooked up to this computer, this flat-screen exactly. computer monitor, right? Yeah, it's kind of, you know kind of the best of, of the you know the old and and you know what we have at our disposal with modernity. Uh, we have one input going to just a simple uh, digital thermometer, fluke meter, and then another input from that uh, inside of the drum going to a program we use to plot essentially what's happening during the process. At this point, we've we've bottomed out entirely on that, that sort of heat loss that we're experiencing after the green coffee goes into the drum. And now we're climbing, and this is just going to be sort of a gradual uh, curve uh, that we'll, we'll plot coming out of this. Um, so essentially, the coffee in the drum is getting hotter as we go. 
and during that process it's evaporating a lot of the moisture in the beans will hit a point and it depends on the coffee and, and the input of the roaster um, but generally it's about you know, three quarters of the way through the roasting process where that that water content is gone and we're actually going to be physically and chemically changing the bean at that point. So can I just ask you what you just did? So you pulled this knob out of the machine and you were looking at something. Yeah, it's called a trier, which is uh, aptly named, where it just almost looks like a, like a, sp a large spoon into the bed of coffee. And you can pull out and look at the color and kind of adjust how it's roasting and or, or uh, get a feel for how it's roasting by looking at it. So what, what did you see when you looked in? What did it tell you? Uh, it's developing nicely. That's what we describe as first crack. Um, it's actually the bean expanding um, and, and it'll make kind of a pop. Roasters will listen for that. Um, that's, that's a really important stage in the roasting process. Uh, we want to make sure that we don't plateau the coffee at any point um, and that we're actively uh, developing it constantly as we go. We really look for roasting defects and try to make sure that we avoid doing certain things. We can uh, underdevelop the coffee, which will make it you know, kind of taste uh, green and uh, sort of sour. We can overdevelop it, which means roast it too dark typically, and we just taste the sort of roasty, you know, burnt popcorn flavor that you have with a dark roasted coffee. Um, there's also a phenomenon called baking where you know, we're not necessarily going under or over, but the coffee is just sort of losing a lot of its liveliness um, by being held at the same temperature too long. And we're almost about to finish this batch up. So he's gonna open the gate here and the coffee's gonna fall through the tray. So after the coffee beans come out of the roaster, they spill into this kind of trough and they're being stirred by this three, three armed device. Yes. What's, what's going on here? Why, why do you do this? So uh, the, the purpose for this step is to cool down the coffee as quickly as possible. Um, basically we, we hit an exact degree that we measure to the tenth of a degree. Uh, when we hit that, we want the roasting process to be done immediately. Uh, so the coffee falls into this tray. It has a, it's a perforated tray and it has a air sort of pulling down through it. And this, uh, like you said, the, the three-armed uh, device that's agitating coffee. Just make sure that everything is sort of uniformly getting turned over uh, so there's not like a hot layer on the top and a, a cold layer on the bottom or vice versa. I gotta say, it doesn't smell like brewed coffee to me at all. No, it's definitely a different smell. Coffee roasting is almost more uh, confectionery, like baking. So what's happening now? So now we're all done. Uh, the coffee uh, in the tray is uh, going through a chute into a bucket and the, the roasting process is done. It's all cool all the way down to room temperature and um, it's going to sit in that bucket until it goes into an air sealed bag and uh, that, that's, it. that's it. That's pretty fast. For some reason I thought it was just like hours and hours of labor intensive no, process. It's, you know, it's, it's about... Labor. 
flavor. Uh, it, by the time we get it, there's so much that has gone into the coffee. Uh, the seed was planted at a nursery, and then it was put in the, the farm, and then it grew for about five years, and then uh, it was harvested, and then milled, uh, and then it was transported, and yeah, lots of work. After the beans had cooled off, Brandon walked us over to the area where they were about to be bagged up and shipped out. So at this point, we noticed that most of the action was now happening in this back corner at a long table that had been laid out with maybe a dozen small coffee cups. People kept walking over to the table, taking a spoon of coffee, tasting it, and then spitting it out into this bucket on the floor. And there was this one guy, really tall, lanky, who was doing most of the tasting with this really intent expression on his face. His name is Ben Kaminsky, and he's a coffee-tasting champion. Literally. He's won the United States Cup Tasting Championship three years in a row, which turns out to be all the championships they've ever had. We asked Brandon to show us what Ben was up to back there. So we uh, have these bowls that fit 165 grams of water in them. We put a sample size of 10 and a half grams of coffee. Um, we'll grind the coffee and evaluate the, the, the fragrance of that ground coffee. Then we'll start the brewing temp process uh, with water that's right around 200 to 204 degrees. Um, and as that coffee is brewing, it sort of forms a, a layer that floats at the top. When we smell that as well, we evaluate the aroma of the brewing coffee. After about four minutes, we break the surface of that coffee that's floating on the top with a spoon, um, and we smell again to evaluate that. As we do that, we're releasing a lot of uh, sort of volatile arom aromatics in the coffee. Uh, once we're done with that step, we scoop all of the coffee oils and sort of residual um, stuff that's floating at the top off, and we wait for the coffee to cool. Um, typically around 14 minutes, after, you know, from starting of the brewing process, it's cool enough to, to taste and not burn our mouths or stir our taste buds or do anything stupid like that. And at that point, we evaluate the taste of the coffee. So are you actually drinking it, or is it more like wine tasting? We taste it and spit it out. Uh, we, we taste and spit it out. Um, you know, that's that, a, it's a lot of coffee to ingest. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you sort of kind of can see the crazy as if anyone decides to to not spit the coffee. Right here we have, a, this is a, a cupping spoon that we've actually had designed for ritual. And it's kind of like if you took a, a cheap spoon and, and really punched the bowl down and made it more, more ladle-like. What we'll do with this is we like to aspirate the coffee off of the spoon. Our coffee buyer is notoriously known for his very, very high-pitched uh, coffee slurp. You can kind of be so deafening. It's, uh, <laughs> ben thinks it's very obnoxious, and uh, definitely if you're like on the wrong side of it and you have an ear tip towards him, it can be a little bit deafening. <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe be able to knock one out for you. Whoa! Uh, that's like, that's wow. like <laughs> mid-range. That's, that's, awesome. that's a tame one. That, that's like baby, baby squeak. I, I really can't break too many more octaves there, but uh, there's, there's others such as our coffee buyer that will literally deafen you. Yeah. Can, can we hear Ben do it with his oh, yeah, you know, I, I don't, silent I don't really make, I, you know, it's, you won't even be able to hear it. I make a point of, of not making a, a big sound. I'll occasionally just do one of these. But, uh, but then, you know, Sometimes uh, it's, it's more just like this. Uh. 
kind of like aerate it like a wine taster. Um, and then, you know, if I'm really going for it, it's... So I'm, I'm curious because tasting is such an important part of yeah. your job. Do you have to be really protective of your mouth? Like, can you never eat a hot slice of pizza or anything like uh, that? Yeah, I mean, it's a big part of how I see the world. I think some coffee people or some tasters or, you know, perfumers or just people that deal with these things, uh, like, uh, on a professional level where it, like, really affects you. It's like, I mean, it's like a painter's hands or something like that, you know, it's like you it, you have, like, nightmares where if, if you didn't have this sense, you, you know, it, everything would fall apart, you know, it's like that integral. So, like, naturally, like, I'm just going to wait the extra two minutes to eat a hot slice of pizza. Is it possible for you to have a favorite coffee anymore? Or oh, that's a really good question. Um, so, yes, but I, I have a hard time drinking it. Tasting flaw uh, is what I do. So, like, separating the enjoyment of coffee and the um, uh, like the profession of coffee for me is like very very difficult generally I like have to have someone else prepare it uh, and like if I if I make it myself it's like it's actually just an impossibility that I'm going to enjoy it so that's it the curse of the professional coffee taster. Okay, I am gonna go lie down and let my heart rate come back to normal. Yeah, I feel great. Great, great. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you all for joining us on this highly caffeinated field trip. Our behind the scenes team includes producer Casey Miner, composer Andrew Sutherland, and illustrator Mike Smith. Special thanks to Jim Richards, Jeremy Rue, and the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism, and to science nerds everywhere. If you'd like to hear other episodes, you can download our podcast for free on iTunes or from our website at fieldtrippodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at fieldtriplog. I'm Carol Platoni. I'm Eric Simmons. And we'll see you next time on the Field Trip Podcast.